Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors. But as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who've served their country in uniform. Less than 1% of the population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military. And the other 99% of us, we owe them. Online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs. Welcome to this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. In such tumultuous times around the world, it is our pleasure to have you along with us on this Sunday. Stefan Tubbs, producer Matt Steinkruger, will do our best to recap of the last week. And of course, as of record time, we're giving you what we know. We could not do programs like this without our presenting sponsor, attorney John Boson and Boson Law, B-O-E-S-E-N, BosonLaw.com, fighting on behalf of veterans every single day. Their number, 303-999-9999. This past Friday, from the Secretary of State in Brussels. President Putin said his so-called special military operation is proceeding exactly as planned. Well, it's hard to imagine that his plan included inspiring the Ukrainian people to defend their country with such tenacity, strengthening the resolve and solidarity of NATO and the EU, uniting the world in opposition to Moscow, including 141 countries at the United Nations, an unprecedented number of international businesses, associations, cultural institutions that have cut ties with Russia, causing the Russian economy to go into freefall, motivating tens of thousands of Russians to protest and countless more to leave the country, and increasingly turning Russia into a pariah state. Uh, If that was uh, President Putin's plan, well, you can say it's working. Russia has never been so isolated. We have never been more united. Antony Blinken from Brussels this past Friday. One of the headlines late last week, a no-fly zone. And it has not been implemented. The Secretary of State says a no-fly zone, uh, well, as called for by Ukraine's president, could lead, in his estimation, the Secretary of State, could lead to a full-fledged war between Russia and the West. As of our record time, easily more than one million refugees now in places out of Ukraine like Romania and, of course, Poland. Also this past Friday, talking about Poland. Earlier today, Secretary Austin had a chance to speak with the Polish Minister of Defense, Marius Blaszczak, 
to discuss impacts of Russia's unprovoked and unjust war against Ukraine. The secretary praised Poland's strong commitment to supporting the defense needs of Ukraine's forces, and uh, certainly he expressed our appreciation for uh, Poland's hosting of U.S. forces and additional U.S. forces. The two leaders exchanged ideas on further enhancing deterrence and defense efforts along NATO's eastern flank. John Kirby at the Pentagon this past Friday. Of course, the big, big story from last week. It's almost, well, still, you shake your head. The attack on the largest nuclear power facility in Ukraine and the U.N. NATO secretary, of course, the White House and the administration calling it nothing but reckless, the attack on the nuclear facility. White House spokeswoman Jen Psaki. We have an internal review that's been ongoing uh, prior to last night of uh, to collect evidence and data of uh, of the targeting of civilians, of the reported use of uh, horrific weapons of war uh, on the ground in Ukraine. Uh, That's an ongoing process. We have not made conclusions. It's a legal review and a process that goes through the administration. What I will say is that uh, the intentional targeting of civilians or civilian objects would be considered a war war crime, even as we are assessing that. Uh, Regardless of the legality, uh, this action was the height of irresponsibility. The Kremlin must cease operations uh, around nuclear infrastructure, and we have, of course, remaining concerns. Jen Psaki from the White House last week. It is amazing, isn't it, that there were six reactors at the largest facility in Ukraine, and five of the six were apparently taken offline. But as of record time, No rise in any kind of atomic levels from the from the power plant. Just truly amazing. It's been almost a week. But last Tuesday, to recap, of course, the president's State of the Union address. Of course, the war in Ukraine was topic A. Thank you all very much. Thank you, General. Tonight, we meet as Democrats, Republicans, Independents, but most importantly, as Americans. With the duty to one another, to America, to the American people, to the Constitution, and an unwavering resolve that freedom will always triumph over tyranny. Six days ago, Russia's Vladimir Putin sought to shake the very foundations of the free world thinking he could make it bend to his menacing ways. But he badly miscalculated. He thought he could roll into Ukraine and the world would roll over. Instead, he met with a wall of strength he never anticipated or imagined. He met the Ukrainian people. Just a portion of the State of the Union address from last Tuesday. It has been, since we last spoke on the American Veterans Show, a very busy week. And, of course, it remains a deadly, deadly situation in Ukraine. This past week, CNN reporter Matthew Chance had an opportunity to sit down for a brief moment with the president of Ukraine. You sent your delegation to meet the Russians for talks. Did anything substantial come out of that? Is there any hope? as the world watches for diplomacy. They decided, they decided uh, to begin to speak about this situation. And I wanted, I, I really wanted, and I asked them, so you have to speak, first of all, you, everybody has to stop, stop fighting, 
If they don't really, it means that you're just, you know, just... Mm, how, wasting, wasting time. And do you think you're wasting your time or do you think they're ready? We'll see. Again, the soundtrack in Ukraine, so many nights this past week. And before we get to our first break in the program, another terrific show ahead. It'll show you here, if you had not heard this last week, a translator translating from Ukrainian into English, Volodymyr Zelensky's address, you cannot control the emotion. We are fighting just for our land. And for our freedom, despite the fact that all large cities of our country are now blocked, nobody is going to enter and intervene with our freedom and country. And believe you me, every square of today, no matter what it's called, is going to be called, as today, Freedom Square in every city of our country. Nobody's going to break us. We're strong. We're Ukrainians. Mm. And finally, last Thursday, we had a chance to talk with United States Army Lieutenant Colonel retired Robert McGinnis on the program. And I asked him on a scale of one to ten, where are you when it comes to ten being, yes, nuclear activity and perhaps a, a nuclear warhead being detonated or zero? Everything is fine. It was stunning what he said. Well, I predicted what has happened last fall. Uh, I would say we're at a 50-50 position Good Lord. Oh, it's five. Glad you're with us on this edition of the American Veterans Show. Coming up, well, we'll talk a little politics, but it all has the genesis in Afghanistan, specifically Kabul, Afghanistan, late last August, and what a Colorado congresswoman did during last week's State of the Union We'll replay our interview with Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, the 3rd Congressional District in Colorado. That's coming up next. We'll also talk about why Vladimir Putin may feel today the way he feels because of earlier in his life. We'll have part of the PBS miniseries called Putin's Revenge. And then we'll wrap up the program today. What is a Javelin missile? What is a Stinger missile? As of our record time, the president had promised another $350 million in aid via weapons to Ukraine. And again, as of record time, about $240 million of that total had already been sent to that war-torn country. Glad you're with us. Much more to come. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Stephen Tubbs. Glad you're with us on this Sunday on the American Veteran Show. This past week, dead U.S. servicemen and women in Afghanistan dominated the news involving Colorado Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. It started, well, the State of the Union address. Thank you all very much. Thank you, General. Tonight, we meet as Democrats, Republicans, and Independents, but most importantly, as Americans. With the duty to one another, to America, to the American people, to the Constitution. 
and an unwavering resolve that freedom will always triumph over tyranny. From the State of the Union address last Tuesday, but it was what was said in an interruption by Colorado Congresswoman Lauren Boebert that really got more publicity than anything in the State of the Union address. We had a chance on our regular program to talk with the Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. Hello. Of course, I saved the best for you. Thank you. Uh, you know, it, it, it was really interesting uh, being there at, at the State of the Union last night. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't realize that he was even going to go into uh, the issue of Bo Biden, who was not killed as an active service member uh, in, in, uh, in battle or anything like that. Uh, you know, I mean, of course, it's, it's very, very tra- tragic yeah. that he lost his life at, at such a young age. Uh, but what Joe Biden failed to do was mention these 13 service members that were killed on his watch. And in fact, all he's been able to do is look at his own watch uh, at, at their service, at their memorial service, um, rather than uh, acknowledge them. Uh, he called what this botched failure of a withdrawal, this, uh, this um, complete concession uh, to terrorists, uh, an and extraordinary success. And, um, you know, that was, it's, it's very devastating. And I understand decorum. Uh, I, I do. And I, I honor that and I value that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I have a new gold star mom in my district who lost her son. And she told me Joe Biden killed my son. Uh, you know, this is, this is something that uh, has been very, very heavy on my heart. And um, to, to know that these 13 service members were going to be completely ignored at the State of the Union when they, when they died because of his actions uh, is absolutely gross. And I am glad that today they are getting recognition and people are talking about them today. Mm-hmm. Because had I not said something, uh, the media would have given Joe Biden a pass for not mentioning them. Yeah. What exactly did you say, word for word, as you remember? Uh, so I, he, he said uh, this uh, a cancer that would um, put our our troops in flag draped coffins, and I said, "You put them in them, thirteen of them." Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I was and, I was texting you um, last night, and one of the things I think I had texted. I know your phone consistently is blowing up, but. I had said, you know, this feigned like these gasps that you heard, like, like, you know, I mean, it, it was almost it was sickeningly over the top. And, you know, they I'm sure you saw the way I think the Washington Post had a, an isolated shot of of Lindsey Graham. And many people were saying he said for her to shut up. No, I think he said, what did she say? But what do you make of the reaction, especially? Yeah, you mentioned decorum, but also, you know, at the root and the genesis of this is, to your point, which I have been saying since last night when this happened, that, you know, if, if you didn't say anything, damn it, no one would have said a thing no about those 13. You're exactly right. And I, I'm not sorry for it. I don't apologize. Um, uh, it was very spontaneous. Um, but, you know, we have a lot of folks on the left who are frankly pissed at me because I, I called out. Um, Biden's botched withdrawal from Afghanistan that left these 13 American heroes in a flag-draped coffin. They, they're mad at me uh, because a speech was interrupted. Well, I want them to ask the families who lost their loved ones 
how interrupted their lives are right now. I, I think that um, that that is much more devastating than interrupting a line in a speech. And and for the record, it wasn't the only time that Joe Biden was interrupted. Um, uh, the Republican Party booed when he when he uh, disparaged Trump tax cuts, mm-hmm. and he was interrupted many times with applause and USA chants from the Democrats. Uh, so you know it's it, it's more of these double standards. It's more of this hypocrisy. They don't like that the truth was spoken, so they want that silence. I'm not apologizing for it. I uh, I am I am glad that I said it. I wasn't expecting to say it, uh, but I. I am very glad uh, that these members are being recognized now today. Congresswoman Lauren Boebert with us on the news line uh, at 10 minutes after 5 o'clock. It has been a whirlwind, a little less than 24 hours for her. And um, look, I think you've been on enough and we've talked in person and text and all of that. If I really deep down thought, Oh, God, how could she have said that? I hope you know that I respect you enough and myself enough where I would actually have the cojones to say, you know what, I thought the, I thought that was, was not the right thing to say. And I'm telling you from every fiber in my being that uh, despite you know what others are saying and attacking you today uh, with the decorum, uh, something needed to be said. And we support our military so much, just like you, on this program. You know, now I just want to make sure, and I, I'm not again trying to to kiss your butt here. Um, you did not know, and and I, I think I know the answer. You did not know that when you said what you said, and you say you're not going to apologize, and I'm glad you're not. But you did not know mm-hmm. that the next line was going to be about Bo Biden, or did you? Of course not. Of course not. Right. No, we, we can't see what his teleprompter is saying. He's he's reading his lines. And uh, no, absolutely not. Um, I, I heard flag draped coffins, and all I could think about were those 13 uh, brave men and women, mm-hmm. uh, one woman. Um, uh, you know, it, it's interesting because Biden invited a big tech CEO to the State of the Union. <laughs> I know. He only brought in a handful of invites. The American people weren't allowed in there. They had all these rules for members of Congress. They had members of Congress and senators in the gallery. Uh, rather than on the House floor because they were pretending to socially distance. You know, that was before they started hugging and slobbering all of each other and headbutting <laughs> each other, whatever that weird thing was. Uh, mm. But he invited a big tech CEO but couldn't bother to even recognize and mention uh, the 13 members or their families who lost uh, who lost them in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Did you, Do you, I, I don't know, by chance, any way, shape, or form, Anybody, friends or, you know, direct family members of the 13, has anybody reached out that you're aware of to your office today? Uh, I, I'm not aware of uh, of anyone reaching out to my office. We've had many members who have uh, many people who have served uh, our, our military um, in our military reach out and um, offer uh, um, their, their gratitude. And um, I, I have spoke with um with the, the new gold star mother in my district um, mm. many times um, since, since that has happened. And, you know, I, I love her dearly and, you know, it's just, it's so terrible. She has a brand new grandbaby now that will never get to see his father. Mm. And um, uh, we, we've had a lot of calls of um, a gratitude and uh, that was very encouraging, uh, especially for my staff, you know, um, to just know that uh, they're, they're working with someone who uh, isn't afraid to stand up for what's right and and speak out for those 
um, who really paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country. This is what you were talking about, and I, I've played this earlier in the program, but this is Congresswoman Boebert right after, uh, you know, I don't even know what the hell. Uh, the Do you by chance know what he meant by at the very, very, very end, go get him? What What was that? No, this is why he's supposed to stick to the script, um, <laughs> because every time he, he gets off script, uh, he, he says something that's completely incoherent. Right. Um, but unfortunately, he was even uh, stumbling uh, through uh, his, his lines that I, I even tweeted at one point. Just read the lines, Joe. Um, and so I don't know if they, they gave him too much Adderall um, mistakenly and, you know, he was just too wound up and was trying to speed through the words or, or what was going on there. He even called uh, Ukrainians Iranians. And, oh, <laughs> you know, oh. uh, um, so there there were certainly um, a lot of uh, Joe Biden gaps, as um, we all expected. Congresswoman Lauren Boebert from earlier in the week on our regular program. And again, she offered no apologies. And as mentioned. At least someone in the House chamber remembered the 13 fallen service members. When we come back to wrap up the show, what is a Javelin missile? We'll have that next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Welcome back to the American Veteran Show. We continue now with Stephen Tubbs. Welcome back. Thank you so much for your time on this Sunday. This is the American Veteran Show. And as we are into our sixth season, not too much over the past few years has been dedicated and and focused on Russia, specifically President Vladimir Putin. And it was a few years ago that PBS and Frontline put out a two-part series called Putin's Revenge. And if you love documentary films like I do, and you love to learn and maybe look back at history you may get a better understanding of why Vladimir Putin is acting currently the way he is. This from PBS in a frontline series, Putin's Revenge. From his first days as president, Vladimir Putin was obsessed with creating the appearance of a 21st century leader. His decision to step down could not have come at a better time for Prime Minister Putin. He commissioned film and photo shoots. He is a man who is obsessed with TV. He watches tapes of the evening news over and over and over again to see how he's portrayed, to see how he looks. He wears very good suits, like any other Western leader. He speaks fluent German and he understands English. Putin cultivated the image of a reformer and a democrat. Russian narrative was the victory of democracy, the triumph of popular will, that sort of thing. So a young guy who speaks a foreign language fits into that narrative, as long as you ignore everything else about him. Putin quickly learned how to sell himself with the help of his public relations guru. He began to think that everything can be manipulated. Any kind of press, any TV program is all about manipulation. It was decided what TV channels would show what news. They made sure a dynamic, vital and charismatic Putin was on display for all Russians to see. He's healthy, he's young, he's virile, he casts himself as a savior. 
temperamentally and in style, he is the anti-Yeltsin. He's bringing back a kind of dignity and strength to the Russian presidency that had been missing under Boris Yeltsin. President Clinton arrived in Moscow carrying a message of cooperation. Putin's first test with the United States, a visit from the American president. Bill Clinton had come to the Kremlin to evaluate Putin for himself. President Clinton wanted to get a little bit of a feel. He wanted to meet him in the, in the Kremlin as president. Two presidents, one near the end of his term, the other... Putin seemed indifferent to the American president who had championed Yeltsin and liberalization and expanded NATO. Putin conveys a huge amount through body language. He tries to show you that he's the alpha male in the room through the way he spreads his legs, through the way he slouches a bit in his chair, through the way that he will look at people and kind of give them a dismissive hand wave. Putin doesn't have much time for him. And this is not what Clinton was used to when it came to Russia. He was used to having somebody he could relate to, and Putin is a cold fish, and Clinton didn't respond well to him. If Mr. Clinton was hoping for a foreign policy triumph, he won't get it here. Later that day, Clinton received a warmer reception from Boris Yeltsin and issued a warning about Putin. Bill Clinton looked hard into... Yeltsin's eyes and said, I'm a little bit concerned about this young man that you have turned over the presidency to. He doesn't have democracy in his heart. And he reached over and poked him in his heart. And I will never forget the the expression that came over Yeltsin. Yeltsin's confidants say by the end of his life, he would come to agree with Clinton. Before Boris Yeltsin died, he told intimates that it was a great mistake for him to have selected Putin as his successor. At the Kremlin, in those first months, Clinton's fears were realized. Putin began to centralize his authority. He more or less laid out the path that he was going to be taking, which was to uh, reduce democracy, to consolidate authority back into the Kremlin. And he took steps, some of which were small and symbolic, like uh, going back to the Soviet-era anthem. It was Joseph Stalin's national anthem with the words rewritten by one of the original authors. What Putin did when he came in was said, okay, I've got a different project. We're going to make, if you will, uh, to coin a phrase, I'm going to make Russia great again. Behind Putin's vision for Russia, a resentment built up over a lifetime of believing his country had been humiliated by the United States. There's this resentment. There's this grievance that's eating away at him, and it's fundamental to his tenure, this sense of grievance. Putin's project to make Russia great again would lead to conflict with the West and interference in an American election. But the seeds had been planted long before, when Vladimir Putin was a young man. He was trained in the Soviet secret police, the KGB, to see the United States as the enemy. 
It was drilled into all the officers. The KGB was a monopoly that produced violence. It was a monopoly that was responsible for political surveillance uh, on everyday basis of Soviet citizens. Nothing could go without the KGB. Putin's first assignment wasn't undercover espionage. They thought he was better suited to counterintelligence. And a counterintelligence officer, right, is somebody for whom conspiracy theories and the enemy within are the job and rooting those out and uh, carrying that kind of paranoid, uh, everyone might actually always be out, out to get us. The job was a disappointment. He's an unhappy man. He has wanted to be a secret agent um, all of his life, as long as he can remember. And then he gets posted to East Germany and not even to Berlin, to Dresden, which is just such a backwater. It was in East Germany that Putin first came face to face with the conflict between the USSR and the United States. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. This protest movement may now be reaching a critical moment. remembered for communism's loss of influence in the world. Here the feeling is the end of the Cold War is at hand. For many people, there is a defining moment in their history when all things after that moment refer back to it in some way. From ABC, this... Lieutenant Colonel Vladimir Putin saw such a moment when the Berlin Wall came down. They are here... In the thousands, they are here in the tens of thousands. Marking the waning power of the Soviet Union. Putin sees that this thing that had always seemed to be glued together well, seemed to be impervious, that had gone from generation to generation of change in the top party officials, um, seemed to be a rock. One battle in a non-violent... It was starting to crumble before his eyes. 1989 will be a year remembered for communism's loss of influence. Mr. Putin joined Russian intelligence during their waning days, in the latter years of the Cold War, when they really felt uh, aggrieved and the much lesser uh, power uh, than the United States. So I think they just reinforced some of his feelings of insecurity. They say they'll never return to communism and promise free democratic elections. The protests spread to Dresden. The angry crowds marched on the German secret police, the Stasi headquarters, then Putin's KGB building. It would be the first time Putin confronted a group of protesters. That from Putin's Revenge, a PBS Frontline series done just a few years ago, all about Vladimir Putin. We will wrap up this Sunday's program with a look at what is a Javelin missile. We'll have that coming up next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. How in the world does President Putin's unprovoked aggression against Ukraine help you achieve any of these things? How is it going to make your lives better? The economic costs that we've been forced to impose on Russia are not aimed at you. They're aimed at compelling your government to stop its actions, to stop its aggression. This is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephan Tubbs. We wrap up this week's edition of the American Veteran Show with basically uh, kind of a primer, if you will, on what exactly is a Javelin missile? 
What exactly is a Stinger missile? Our first tutorial, if you will, is from YouTube and U.S. Military News talking about the Javelins. The U.S.-made FGM-148 Javelin is one of the premier portable anti-tank missile systems in the world. It's also an expensive piece of kit, with each missile typically costing more than the targets it eliminates. Still, the infrared-guided Javelin has proven itself in combat in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Syria, and has reliable shtick that should work on virtually any tank out there. It hits them on the weak top armor. It also exposes its crew to less danger than the typical guided missile system. Because it's such a lightweight system, it may end up being a first responder on the ground to emergencies that could be described as massive, unexpected tank invasions. A scenario the U.S. military could have faced during Operation Desert Shield when it deployed light infantry to defend Saudi Arabia and currently fears in the Baltics. The Javelin is so effective that who the United States sells or gives Javelins to has become a political issue on more than one occasion. Within the U.S. military, the Javelin also looks to set to transition from being purely an infantry system to being mounted on vehicles. So, how does one throw these anti-tank spears? And why are they so powerful? The Javelin doesn't look as sleek and deadly as its name would have you think. It resembles a clunky dumbbell slightly over one meter in length. Fortunately, you don't need good looks to blow up a tank. The Javelin's Command Launch Unit, CLU, has a sophisticated infrared sensor with multiple viewing modes, including 4x optical zoom, a 4x greenlit thermal view, a 12x narrow vision zoom activated for targeting. The seeker in the missile even provides a 4th 9x thermal viewing mode. The CLU can therefore serve as a handy scanning device for the infantry. The thermal viewers on the Javelin need to be cooled off to function well, which theoretically takes 30 seconds, but might take a bit longer if you're in Baghdad and it's a breezy 120 degrees at noon. The system also incorporates multiple safeguards to avert or abort accidental launch. The CLU, when loaded with a missile, weighs in at 50 pounds. Most of the weight comes from the missile and can be fired from a crouch or even seated position. That's a lot lighter than the wire-guided tow or other long-range missiles that typically required a heavy tripod. Still, it's not exactly something you'd want to run a marathon with. Once the firer acquires a target, locks the infrared seeker onto it, and pulls the trigger, the Javelin missile is ejected out of the CLU without using its rocket motor in soft launch, creating relatively little backblast. Missile launch backblast not only makes it easy for opposing forces to spot the launcher after firing, but can make launching while inside a confined space, a building, a deadly risk. So the Javelin's small backblast is very handy for keeping the operator alive. Still, the launch does blow back some gas, so you don't want to stand directly behind it. Afterwards, the Javelin's gunner must, actually the gunner could play Candy Crush on their cell phone if they wanted to, because unlike most long-range anti-tank missiles, the Javelin is a fire-and-forget system and requires no further input after launch. The Javelin crew is free to duck into cover and concealment rather than being forced to remain fixed in place guiding the missile toward the target as is necessary with semi-automatic command line-of-sight SACLOS systems such as the wire-guided tow or laser-guided AT-14 Cornet. 
After launch, a javelin shoots forward horizontally for a second before its rocket motor ignites and it climbs up 150 meters into the air, known as a curveball shot. It's quite a sight. The missile's infrared seeker, benefiting from gyroscopes and gimbals, makes adjustments using thrusters to ensure its trajectory leads it to plunge almost vertically into the infrared signature it was locked onto. A javelin fired in this manner will strike the top armor of an armored vehicle, which is generally much thinner than the frontal or even side armor. The javelin 127mm shaped charge warhead is estimated to penetrate the equivalent of 600 to 800 millimeters of rolled hardened armor, RHA, which is not particularly impressive given that modern tanks now feature composite armor that is extra effective against such warheads. But that really doesn't matter. It's still more than enough to penetrate the top armor of anything out there, at least as long as we don't consider other defensive systems. That video again from U.S. Military News. And also, either in Ukraine or on the way, of course, the uh, the European cities and European countries have been sending materiel and money for materiel. And not only javelins from the United States and money for them, but Stinger missiles as well. This is, in essence, a tutorial from an expert with our United States Army. You're going to have your missile. You'll have your A-gunner stand directly behind you. He's going to assist with targeting and acquiring that aircraft as you're firing. So you're going to step up to the line. You're going to have your... Right now we have a NICAD, which is a trainer battery. But when you're up there, you're going to have a BCU battery coolant unit. That's going to provide power for the missile while it's still spinning up in here. It's also going to provide that argon gas that cools the missile. So you're going to step up, you're going to insert your BCU or NICAD, you're going to look over the sights, you're going to find out where that aircraft is at. Once you've seen that aircraft with the missile shouldered, hand forward on the uncage button, and your other hand back here on the SNA switch and the trigger, you're going to acquire that aircraft, you see it, you can track it in the sights. So now you're going to lift up and you're going to activate by pressing down and in on this SNA switch, safety and actuator switch. And as you can hear right now, back here you've got your speaker, which is going to provide those tones to let you know if you're tracking the aircraft. And you've got your bones transducer. This is going to vibrate against the gunner's cheek so that he can feel the tone because sometimes it's loud, aircraft flying by, possible gunfire in the background. So. You're going to hear those two things going off. This nightcap won't last very long. It's pretty much dead. So you've seen the aircraft, and the reason you activate on a clear blue sky, you're going to take your sights, and you're going to put them above, below, or side to side on the aircraft. And the reason for that is you need to super elevate this missile upwards. Sorry. You need to super elevate this missile upwards so that when it fires out, that launch motor is going to push it out of the tube and then the launch motor will detach, and the flight motor will kick in. So there's about nine yards where this missile will just be free-floating in the air between the detachment of the launch motor and the initiation of the flight motor. So that space that it's going to fall right there, that's the reasoning for super-elevating the missile. And as we wrap up the American Veteran Show, hopefully you learned a little bit about the Javelin and Stinger missiles that are now in the hands of Ukrainian soldiers. We would be remiss... It was March 3rd, 1931, that President Herbert Hoover officially declared March 3rd National Anthem Day. Why? Because the Star-Spangled Banner 
was officially adopted as our national anthem. So we go out with that. Join us next week. Join us tomorrow on the regular program for the very latest as to the war in Ukraine. Say a prayer for those Ukrainian refugees, the military, and perhaps say a prayer for some of those Russian soldiers that really have no idea what they're doing right now from orders on the top. I'm Stefan Tubbs for producer Matt Steinkruger and all of us connected with the American Veteran Show. Have a terrific week ahead and remember our troops. is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteranShow.com. Join us next week for another edition of The American Veteran Show. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.